welcome to mini episode 115 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have five spooky stories for you today and the last story comes from April the 8th, 2021. And story number one comes from Rachel. I want to preface this by saying that I am as sceptical as they come. As much as the lore of the paranormal excites me, I try my hardest to find the most rational explanation for things. But there's an exception to this, that I will stand by to this day. It happened when I was around nine, and I still think of it from time to time, yet rarely verbalise it to anyone. In fact, no one knew about my experience until recently, when I told my sister after a late night of spooky podcasts and wine. She was upset I never told her, because she herself had similar experiences growing up. We grew up in this small, high desert mountain town about 90 miles north of San Diego, California. There was one winding road that led 45 minutes into the mountains where you fell upon a dusty valley that was beautiful yet desolate at the same time. The road happened to also be a shortcut for travellers wanting to get to Palm Springs from San Diego faster. That's fine and all, but it also means that we have had many travellers not understanding how dangerous it is to drive those curvy two-lane roads. Therefore, there were always fatal car crashes happening at a pretty constant rate. I can count on two hands how many people I knew personally that died driving on that road. Naturally, there was a well-known and consistent crash site that was right before the entrance to our sleepy town. It was appropriately named Dead Man's Curve by us locals, and I always hated driving through it as a child. It was always vibrantly decorated with fresh roadside crosses and memorial flowers of that month's current tragedy and I could just feel the heaviness of it, as if a curtain of sadness would wash over you the minute you made that turn. It was unfortunate that one day we were stuck behind a line of cars that were being redirected through the other side of the road since there had been a deadly crash on Dead Man's Curve. It frightened me immediately, knowing we were going to pass by the wreckage and see what the carnage was thus created. As we slowly took our turn in our line of cars to pass through, I stared out my window, not wanting to, but as if my head refused to turn away, and I caught the image of a small red car that had flipped off the curve and landed on its roof. Firefighters were lugging a stretcher up the side of the hill, a stretcher with a sheet loosely pulled over it, and a bloody arm conveniently falling out from the side as we passed by. I jerked my head away as if I felt a pain. I didn't say a word for the rest of the drive home. That night I couldn't sleep, and I kept having intrusive thoughts of a bloodied body jerkily making its way 13 whole miles to my house to get to me. Thoughts of where that corpse would be in an hour. Would it make it to my house? What happens if I wake at midnight and it's here? You have to understand, I wasn't really asking for these thoughts. It's as if they were being planted in my brain. The dread of another victim of Dead Man's Curve coming slowly, jerkily, decaying, crawling 30 miles to get me. I get it, kids have wild imaginations, and maybe mine had been overstimulated that day. But I woke up that night to the sound of a nearby pack of coyotes howling close by. And for those who haven't heard coyotes howl, I liken it to old women wailing mournfully. It's absolutely frightening to wake up to in the late hours of the night. Anyway, I woke up in instant dread over the outside yips and howls 
to see at the edge of my bed a white, misty, almost static-like human figure just sitting there. My mouth went dry. Chills went through my entire body and I immediately threw the covers over my head. I squeezed my eyes as tight as they could go and somehow willed myself back to sleep after what seemed like an eternity. I felt as if I inherited something earlier that day when we passed the wreckage. Maybe something temporarily paranormal or inexplicable, but something. A connection. But I knew in my heart that whatever I saw at the end of my bed was connected to the bloody arm I saw on that stretcher. Even without the paranormal element, that story is terrifying. And that human compulsion to look at things like car accidents or look at things that you know are going to be traumatic is so complex. You know you're not going to see anything good. You know that you don't want to see it, but you still have to look anyway. And of course, as a child, you're going to imagine that scenario being even worse. You've just been confronted with seeing death in a really violent way. And your child brain is going to make that a million times worse by imagining all of the terrible supernatural possibilities that come with death. Now, I've never heard coyotes howling because obviously they're not native to here. So I uh, YouTubed it and now I'm going to subject all of you to the sound of coyotes howling. That is definitely unpleasant and what really made me laugh was the first comment on this video on YouTube that's been viewed well over a million times was you are not the only person coming here to try and figure out what you just heard. So obviously it's a common thing for people to hear coyotes, especially if they're not used to them I suppose, and go what the fuck is that? And as for the shape on your bed, we love a white misty shape around here. I wonder if it's worthwhile changing the perspective on this one that maybe the white misty shape wasn't something bad or something threatening. Maybe it was the person connected to the person that you saw that had lost their life at the scene. Or maybe it was some sort of guardian angel who recognised you were really distressed and wanted to come and keep an eye on you for the night. That's what we need to do, just change the narrative. Maybe it's all okay after all. That's not an invitation. I don't want anything like that to happen to me. Thank you. And story number two comes from Brendan. My partner and I lived in a one-bedroom flat and we moved out just after school. I've always been a strong believer in the paranormal and remember experiencing seen figures and shadows when I was younger. But this time it was different. My partner works night shifts and got home from work at around 9am, so I stayed in the bed a little longer to help her to fall asleep as she can't sleep alone. In doing so, I drifted off to sleep myself and this is when I experienced the man in the hat. I was laying in bed and was unable to move. Everything was silent. There were no birds singing, no humming of the boiler, heating up the flat, nothing. I looked to my left and could see my partner sleeping. I tried to reach over to get her to wake me up, but nothing. I couldn't move and I was struggling to breathe. The bed was facing the door, and as I was facing my partner, I could hear the bedroom door slowly open. Usually I have these experiences while it's pitch black, but as it was just past nine in the morning, the room was well lit and the sun was coming through the window. I looked at the door, and that's when I saw him. He had no features, only an outline. 
He was completely black but looked like he wore a long trench coat with a black bowler hat on. He started to walk towards me at this point. I was trying my best to shout to wake my partner up but no sound was coming out. He stopped and just stood at the foot of my bed for what felt like hours. I couldn't move and we just looked at each other. And then he started to move around the side of the bed closer to me. As he reached the top of the bed, now towering over me, he got closer to my face and I shot up gasping for air. I looked around and the room was empty, my partner was still sleeping. The only difference is, the door was open now. After this experience I started hearing things and stuff started to move places during the night. I've moved from the flat and still have sleep paralysis but I've never seen this shadow man in a hat again. On the surface of this story it seems like just a classic case of sleep paralysis but then Brendan says that he suffers from sleep paralysis but has never had an episode like this again which is the first thing that's interesting. Secondly, the door now being open when he woke up is a physical indicator that something happened in that room. And we've had so many people write in about their experiences with the man in the hat that it's really hard to talk about it anymore without uh, without repeating myself and to find something new to say about it. But what I will say is that I just can't fathom why in our deepest, darkest moments of fear that is conjured by our brain, universally, the man in the hat seems to be a thing that is scary. Surely it would be dependent on the person as to what they would see in their sleep paralysis episodes depending on what their biggest fear was. But yet it seems to either be a hag or the man in the hat and that's the thing that fascinates me. And story number three comes from Emily. I'm 17 and I live in a small town in the north of England. A lot of history but nothing really happens here. In fact, the strangest thing I've seen is a guy skipping past the cemetery in a pink tutu and a beer bottle in hand. I wouldn't exactly call myself sensitive to the supernatural, but I definitely feel things. Like my eye will be drawn to a certain part of a room and I'd get a weird feeling of calm crossed with a need to run away and I'll start to cry for no reason at all. I've had a number of odd things happen to me throughout my childhood. Most have happened when I was away from home or on holiday. I specifically remember going for a walk in the woods with my sister. I must have been around three or four as my parents were together and with us. I was wandering ahead on the trail, looking up through the trees, as many little kids live inside their own heads, so I wasn't paying much attention to my surroundings. I looked up on a particular branch and I swear on anything this was not a dream, but I saw two giant butterflies, one blue and one orange. Now I know what you're thinking, what's so strange about butterflies? These were massive and they also had what appeared to be long, thin, twig-like legs and arms. And they looked like fairies. This wasn't a dream. I know this because a few years later I asked my sister about it. She confirmed that she had in fact seen an orange butterfly-like creature in the trees too. She's recently forgotten this memory, however, which has led me to question my sanity a bit. And that isn't the only memory people in my family have forgotten. Another incident happened when I was four or five, and it was the last holiday we went on as a family before my parents divorced. We went to Cornwall for a week and rented out a small old cottage. The landlady greeted us on the first day. I recall she had brown hair and wore red and that's all. 
The landlady said we were free to go wherever, except past the red curtained off half of the living room. Yes, the woman had floor to ceiling curtains in her living room, and I could clearly see them from the staircase. She told my parents, the children cannot go past them. The woman gave me strange vibes and in all honesty I was scared of her. So naturally, I dared my older sister to go and look past the curtains when mum and dad weren't looking. She did. And she sprinted out of the room, up the stairs and into our shared bedroom. I later asked her what was in there. And to this day, she will not tell me. Maybe she was just being annoying and faking the whole thing just to scare me as siblings do. But something in me told me not to look. So I didn't. For the whole week, I never looked. A few months ago, we were talking to my mum about that cottage and nobody remembers the landlady or the red curtained room. But my mum turned to me and this is roughly what she told me. Do you remember the nights when you were there? You'd wake up on the floor next to your bed and come downstairs to the kitchen where me and your dad would be. You would tell us the old woman dragged you out of bed again. Well, it's safe to say I shot myself because apparently that happened a lot. It could have easily been a dream and my imagination making up for the fact that I kept falling out of the bed. Now, I wouldn't find any of this strange as I was a little kid and my imagination was everything to me. But I was a very sick kid, in and out of hospital most of my early childhood, as I had many complications after being born premature. According to my dad, I actually flatlined as a baby for a minute until they brought me back. But I'm not 100% sure about that. But maybe I did and maybe I brought something back with me. Lots of other strange things have happened. Little things like seeing figures in my doorway or feeling like I'm being watched or hearing a tap drip in slow motion in the middle of the night only to check and have nothing dripping. That particular one went on for a few weeks. Or the day of my grandma's funeral. I was in year three and wasn't invited as it was too upsetting. I remember being sat in class and my eyes were drawn to the back wall. Nothing was there, I was just staring for a few moments. Throughout the whole day, I had completely forgotten it was my grandmother's funeral. I had no idea until my mum picked me up and told me grandma had gone to the angels today. But I wasn't sad either. I was overly happy. The happiest I'd been in a while. Which, saying it now, makes me sound like a little psychopath that needed yeeting down some stairs. I think the last thing I saw that was out of the norm was a few years ago. I was 12 or 13. We were at a mansion, I can't remember the name as there were so many in England and being into history we went to a lot. It was like a market stall thing where the doors were open for people to walk through and buy things. These were like car boot sales, but posher and without the cars. We'd been there for the whole day and it was pushing afternoon so my dad sent me and my friend to go and get my sister as it was time to go home. After looking through the gardens, me and my friend split up the stairs. I told him to look downstairs and I'd look upstairs and meet back there when he was done. The second floor was deserted. There were no stalls up there, but seeing as we were both interested in old things, I'd figured she'd gone to explore by herself for some peace and quiet. At the top of the stairs, the second floor forked off into three different hallways. One to my left, one straight in front and a short arched corridor to my right. I figured I'd start with the smaller half and turn right. Through the archway, I opened the double doors to a large room with two doors at the back, one on the left and the other on the right. I almost had a heart attack 
as I met eyes with an old man leaning against a small table at the far back wall, smiling at me. He wore a fancy black suit with a bow tie and he had white hair. He just stood there. And me, an awkward teenager with social anxiety, just stood there too. I ripped my eyes from his and glanced quickly around, seeing no sister here. I mumbled hello and goodbye to him before legging it out of there. I met my friend on the stairs and told her what I saw. He wanted to see himself, so I dragged him back up the stairs. We didn't get far because a woman stopped us at the top of the stairs. She asked us what we were doing up there, and I asked her if the place was haunted. She asked me why I wanted to know and I told her I had seen a man down the hallway. Now I know full well this man could have been staff. One of those people who you can ask questions to about the house and they give you little facts. But I will never forget the look on her face. Her face completely fell and grew rather fearful. She told us it was best to stick to the bottom floor, completely ignoring my question and any previous anger of having two kids walking around unsupervised. If her goal was to scare us... She succeeded. The most annoying thing of the whole ordeal was my sister, who wasn't in fact in the house at all. She had found my dad and was waiting for my friend and I anyway. Maybe I just wanted something when there's in fact nothing. I'm not religious, but I am very spiritual, and I do think there are things that humans can't yet comprehend, like sleep paralysis and dreaming and ghosts. I do think houses hold echoes, and maybe ghosts are just us glancing into the past for a moment. I don't believe in fairies, but I don't think I discovered a new type of butterfly either. Maybe my memory and time has twisted these stories into something magical when it wasn't. Maybe it was just another room behind the curtains, like with a piano or a sofa. And as for the apparent memory loss of my parents and my sister, I don't know. Maybe it's just age and some memories leave you as you grow up. Or perhaps they saw a more logical side of it and decided they just weren't things that were worth remembering. I loved the butterfly story. I know, shocker, a fairy story that Emma loves, who'd have thought. But I loved it. In the UK, we don't really get very big butterflies. We get a lot of butterflies during the summer, but we don't get particularly big ones. So it would be really unusual and noteworthy to see a really giant blue butterfly or a really giant orange one. Honestly, you'd be thinking, what the heck is that? Because you just you just don't see them. And with long, thin, twig-like legs and arms. That sounds suspiciously fairy-like to me, okay? So that's what we're going to say. We're going to say very respectfully that you saw some fairies. As for the curtains in the rented property and the lady saying, don't go behind the curtains, whatever you do. I, do, I think I'd have to look behind the curtains. Like, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to look behind the curtains because I'd be frightened. But also telling me not to do it would be like a red rag to a bull. And I'd be dying to know what was behind the curtains. And maybe the old man in the house was just really happy to see the house being used and utilised and full of life. And full of people bustling around and buying things and selling things. And maybe he was really happy about it. Memory is such a tricky thing as well. Because when you remember something, you are remembering a memory of the event. Because you're not remembering the actual event. You're not witnessing it all over again. You're remembering your memory of it, your own interpretation of it. So sometimes it's really mad when you speak to somebody and they have a totally different recollection of an event or like in this case, they don't remember it at all. And I do wonder if as you get older, your brain just goes, ah, this isn't important or ah, we can't deal with this memory. So we're just going to get rid of it. 
And I know there's been a lot of like actual scientific research into near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences. And on the spiritual side of things, there are lots of people who have like theories and ideas about near-death experiences and of course, death experiences. And there are some people who believe that when you die and are brought back, that you the veil is thinned for you, that you have kind of transcended mortality in a way and then therefore are more susceptible to seeing or hearing things or experiencing things. So who knows? And story number four comes from Jessie. My maternal grandmother was a lady unafraid of sharing her ailments with all. Nan's hip was playing up. Nan had a cold. Nan's arthritis was bugging her. You get the picture. It was almost a running joke in our family. Nanny and her ailments. It meant that when she got really sick, it was hard to take her seriously. This time, however, it seemed bigger. She had to go into the hospital for triple bypass surgery, and the doctors told us she wouldn't make it through the night. Tears were shed, goodbyes were uttered, but she woke up the next day and made a full recovery. Now, I'm not religious, but she was. She told us she had spoken to Jesus that night in a dream and he had given her more time, but she didn't know why. A year later, on the 23rd of March, 2010, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. She endured chemotherapy, two invasive surgeries, as well as radiation therapy sessions that lasted for a while. My grandmother spent a lot of time with us during this, cooking, cleaning, boosting morale. She was part of what made the situation for my brother and me, who were children at the time, so bearable. After nine months of treatments, the doctors gave my mother the all-clear and told us that she was cancer-free. My grandmother died the following week in hospital room 23. My paternal grandmother had committed suicide three days before my maternal grandmother passed. At her funeral, there was a bright rainbow over the church as we left. My mother told me and my brother that it was a sign to tell us she was happy in heaven. Years later, she told us that she was shitting it afterwards because she didn't know what to tell us when there wasn't one at her own mother's funeral. She didn't need to worry. As we left the church after my mother's mother's funeral, there was a bright double rainbow in the sky. Since then, rainbows have followed us. On the first Christmas after their passing, on the first Mother's Day, and on a few occasions since, such as birthdays and days where we needed a pick-me-up. It's not just my mother, though. Rainbows follow me, too. A rainbow shone at the funeral of a childhood friend when I was a young teen. As I got older, I forgot about my affiliation to the phenomenon until a close friend and housemate of mine died in 2019. At the funeral, I heard people gushing over something. Someone tapped me on the shoulder and told me to turn around. There was a huge rainbow in the sky. I felt comforted, whether it was him or not. It felt connected more than a coincidence. It's not just rainbows. The number 23 crops up quite often in her life as well as mine. It was the date on which my mother was diagnosed with cancer, the room in which her mother died, the age at which she met my father, the age at which I moved out of home, the age at which I decided to write this, and strangely enough, the date I asked my mother for her permission to write her story was the 23rd of March 2021. I'm not sure what any of this means. Does the number 23 have any significance? Are rainbows at all associated with paranormal phenomenon? I'm sure it's more than coincidence, but perhaps in a world full of chaos, it's nice to notice strange consistencies, patterns that make the unbearable feel bearable. 
Maybe when you're grieving, it's easier to look for good omens, things to make it feel less aggressive. Heaven knows. But I'd like to think it's more than that. I always say the same thing in these situations with these kind of stories. And I really don't think it matters whether it's paranormal, whether it's all just a big coincidence. I don't think it matters. I think what matters is what comfort you get from it. And if seeing rainbows or like other people say, seeing robins or seeing feathers, if whatever that is takes the pain of grief away, even for 30 seconds, then just embrace it. We definitely had another story recently about numbers taking on a huge significance in somebody's life and patterns of the same number appearing at all these important significant events. So it does happen to people. Also on a side note and a very personal note, like Jesse, it sounds like your family went through the mill. So I'm just really sorry that you had to go through all of that hardship. And story number five comes from Ruth. When I was around 12, my family and I moved into a church home. It was one of those homes that are next to a church where the pastor and the family used to live. However, the church next to us was closed. I recall that I always felt uneasy in that home, like there was some dark energy. It was also the home where I started to get sleep paralysis. All around, it was a pretty creepy house. And I still watched the Amityville horror movies alone at night, such a weirdo. My mother would volunteer at the local store where people would donate any unwanted clothes or items and they were sold at low to no cost to people in the community. One day she came home after a long day of volunteering with some items for my siblings and a creepy doll lamp for me. The body of the lamp was the doll dressed in an old-fashioned white and blue dress and on top of her head was where you would screw in the light bulb. She had big, bulgy, beady eyes and tiny little pupils. My siblings and I were creeped out and I kept making comments about how I didn't want it watching me at night. Out of kindness, I kept it, even though I wanted to break it and throw it in the dumpster. I placed it on my desk facing the wall and I went to bed and woke up at around 4am to go to the restroom. When I got up, I noticed that the doll was facing my bed. Immediately, I turned it back around to face the wall and rationalised it. I assumed that one of my siblings was messing with me and had snuck in and moved it. I went to the restroom, which was right next to my bed. Upon returning to the room, the doll had moved and was facing the doorway. I was freaked out. There was no way I could rationalise that. I burst into tears and ran into my mom's room. She believed me and took the lamp to her room. I couldn't fall asleep as I was too freaked out. So I decided to read the Bible to try and calm myself down. As soon as I was calm and finally felt sleep coming back, I heard a creaking sound. I then noticed that my closet door was slowly creaking open. There were no windows open and there were no drafts. My mom's room was next to mine, so my closet shared a wall with her room. It was as if whatever was in that doll was still trying to mess with me. I bolted to the closet, closed the closet door and never went back to sleep that night. I never knew what my mom did with that lamp, but I'm pretty sure she threw it in the dumpster where it belongs. I'm pretty sure those lamps were all the rage for a while. I have a picture of it in my head of what I think it looks like and I imagine it's pretty similar. I think they were were very popular at a period in time as like a cute little kitschy thing for a little girl's bedroom. 
but I would not be wanting that in my bedroom. No way, no how. I'm glad your mum took you seriously though and got rid of it because we get so many stories like this where the parents are like, no, it's fine. Keep it in your room. No, I got it for you as a gift. You got to keep the scary doll. So she has a knife. Oh no, she's sweet. Who cares? Don't be silly. It's her imagination. No, we've got none of that in this story and I appreciate that. Thank you so much to Rachel, Brendan, Emily, Jesse, and Ruth for sending in your stories. And remember, the last story came from April the 8th, 2021. And if you would like to know anything about Real Life Ghost Stories, you can log on to the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com where you will find out all of the information that you want. And on that note, I shall see you next time. <laughs>